0: The country of Indonesia, do they like me in Indonesia?
1: 100% confident Indonesia will prevail.
0: Hello and welcome to the Talkie Indonesia podcast. I'm your host Dave McRae from the University of Melbourne's Asia Institute and today I'll be chatting with Indonesia's National Development Planning Minister Professor Bambang Brojanogoro about disparities in development between different regions in Indonesia. The differences between Java and Indonesia's outer islands can be stark. Urban centres on Java, like Jakarta and Yogyakarta, have Human Development Index scores in the high 70s and low 80s whereas eastern Indonesian provinces like Papua, West Papua, and East Tenggara score in the high 50s to low 60s. President Jokowi has repeatedly touched upon such disparities in his political rhetoric, pledging to move away from a Java-focused development model to a so-called Indonesia-centric approach. In today's episode, I asked Professor Brojanogoro about the drivers of regional disparity, its impacts, the policy levers available to the government, and the risks inherent in efforts to lessen differences between regions. Today's episode is the first of a policy and focus series of Talking Indonesia episodes, supported by the Knowledge Sector Initiative or KSI, a partnership between the Australian and Indonesian governments that aims to improve the use of evidence in development policymaking. This series will appear periodically in alternate weeks to the regular Talking Indonesia episodes. Look out for the policy and focus tagline in the episode titles to follow the series. <laughs> Pat thanks so much for joining us on Talking Indonesia today. Glad to, to be part of that. Now, when we talk about regional disparities in Indonesia, could I start by asking you, what is the best level to think of that? Are we talking about differences between islands, between provinces, or between different ends of the archipelago? Yes, regional disparity, in fact, is
1: a global phenomena. Hmm. It doesn't happen only in Indonesia or other developing or emerging economies. It even happens in the developed economies. For example, in the US, you can see the difference between, let's say, the coastal area and more inland area. Certainly in China, for example, I think there is a quite drastic difference between the eastern coast area and very much inland area of China. And in Italy, for example, everybody knows about the disparity between the north and the south. Mm-hmm. So in Indonesian case, when you are asking whether it is more on the islands, on the regions, actually we can apply this to every level. But if you are talking about the most extreme level or the so-called the most common level would be between Java and outside Java. Of course, many will use West versus East, but the definition of West here only Java and Sumatra. Hmm. And it's true because Java and Sumatra contributes 80%. But inside 80%, Java itself contributed 60%, hmm. so Sumata 20%. Hmm. So I think it's better to put this disparity issue in Indonesia more hmm. between Java and outside Java. Because Java contributed 60% hmm. and also population concentrated in Java, while in terms of area, Java is much less compared to
0: the other islands. Just one small, highly densely populated island. And I guess to explain the difference between Java and the rest of the country, how would you measure those disparities and how do they manifest? Well, certainly the
1: most obvious gap would be in terms of the GDP contribution. And as you know, GDP is reflection of the economic activities. So if 60% of economic activities of Indonesia happening or generated in Java. It means that only people in Java can receive the benefit of this dynamic economic activities in Indonesia. The other thing that we need to take into account, Java now is more on manufacturing side, not so much on agriculture, although they are still the major producer of rice. But in terms of economy, it's already dominated by the manufacturing. Hmm. If we are talking about natural resources that's still quite dominant in Indonesia Sumatra produced, for example, palm oil and coal Kalimantan also major coal producer as well as timber Sulawesi, for example, produced cocoa and other islands produce, for example, fishery products Then we know that most of the value-added process of those commodities still dominated by Java I mean, the natural resources could come from different parts of Indonesia But when it comes to the value-added process, most likely it will happen in Java. Although now government trying to do downstreaming of our natural resources, we'll try to locate the downstreaming process or the factories very close to where the natural resources come from. Hmm. But so far, still, in terms of industrial activities, still concentrated in Java, including the value-added process of natural resources.
0: So with that economic concentration in Java, what are the human development impacts? I guess if you compared education level, life expectancy, health between Java and say some of the Eastern Indonesian provinces like Papua and Maluku, what would the difference be? There is a big difference, but quite interestingly, for example, when
1: we talk about poverty, our national poverty level now is 9.82% so 9.82% of our population live below poverty line Mm. so when we try to see the difference in terms of percentage between Java and other islands Java actually is below 9% I think quite close to 5-6% to and in some provinces like Papua for example or Maluku they still have poverty rate above 20% so looks like that the poverty issue in Papua is much severe compared to the Java, but that's the percentage. When it comes to the absolute amount of population, actually when you are asking where most of poor people live, Hmm. the answer is still in Java, in West Java, Central Java, as well as Eastern Java. Because although the percentage is quite low, the percentage multiplied by the big number of population, equal to relatively large number of poor people in Indonesia compared to, for example, the 22% or 23% in Papua or East Nusa Tenggara or in Maluku Hmm. So, of course, we have to have a mix of good policies Hmm. Dealing with Java, of course, you're dealing with how to provide employment or how to provide more business opportunity SME level, small and medium enterprise the people who are now poor in Java slowly can improve their income. But in Papua, of course, we cannot use that kind of policy to reduce the poverty. Instead, we trying to focus more on, for example, building and creating the access to basic infrastructure and also talking about social assistance to the people, especially who live in isolated area and also to provide some kind of direct support from central Mm. government to the provincial government or to the district government in order to improve their local economic development. So, two different strategies Mm. with same goal, which is poverty reduction. But of course, that's the complexity of the
0: Indonesia itself. So you've got in the large population centers of Java and Sumatra, you still have inequality and poverty, but you also have this disparity between the sparsely populated East and and these areas in the West. I guess when you compare those two divides yeah income or wealth inequality as a whole um, which as we know has been rising in the past 10 Mm -hmm. to 20 years in indonesia and regional disparities um which is the larger absolute difference is it between those poorer provinces and the more prosperous center in java or is it simply between poorer and richer people nationally I think, to some extent, the level of urbanization has some
1: impact to the regional disparity in Indonesia. As you know, we have now more than 50% of people living in urban areas. So, Indonesia basically already urbanized country. Mm. So, this is the very interesting fact because then, the area, I mean, basic principle, mm. the area with the more urbanized level mm. will have higher productivity and certainly at the end, higher economic growth and prosperity. That's the concept. So when Indonesia already urbanized country, you know very well which island that will have the highest urban area, that will be in Java Hmm. and especially around Jakarta area. Hmm. I think there is to some extent a significant concentration of our economic activities not only in Java actually, but Hmm. on the greater metropolitan area of Jakarta, which Hmm. is known as Jabodetabek. In Jabodetabek itself, if we try to accumulate all the GDP, it might come to between 20 to 25% of the Indonesian GDP, meaning that one-fifth up to one-fourth of economy happens only in that small area, Greater Jakarta metropolitan area. So if you are asking what kind of challenges to reduce the disparity, I think we need to address uh, the issue of the urbanization. I mean, urbanization is unavoidable, in fact, urbanization, I think, is good for economy, but our uh, research indicated that our urbanization is not yet optimal mm. to boost the economic growth compared to countries like even like India or our neighbors in Southeast Asia. Mm. So it means we need to improve the productivity on urban area. And at the same time, we need to so-called modernize and improve productivity at rural areas especially on agriculture and fishery sector Hmm. by doing that we hope that this disparity although it still exists and of course cannot be eliminated totally but at least it won't create a a bigger income inequality does that mean
0: establishing more larger urban centers in eastern indonesia
1: i believe we need to promote better development of secondary and tertiary city Hmm. i mean some major cities will become a big metropolitan area. That's already the pattern. But at the same time, we already see the emergence of so-called second tier or third tier mm. of cities. Mm. And those cities, because of the nature, usually has closer linkage to the rural sector, because this is the new city emerged from rural into urban area. Mm. So they have better linkage and we hope that the emergence of secondary and tertiary cities will help the farmers or the fishery hmm. to have better access to the market for selling hmm. their products
0: that issue of secondary or tertiary cities is an interesting one because mm-hmm. if you do go to a country like china i mean you can go to any number of cities yeah. and you'll see skyscrapers apartment towers so, yeah, and sort yeah. of large economic centers but Even to go to Surabaya in Indonesia, the the central business district is much smaller than what you'd see in Jakarta. Why is it that Indonesia with such a large population really doesn't at present have a larger number of secondary large
1: urban centers? This is a very interesting question and I'm really into it, you know, because when I try to make comparison Mm. among the 10 most populated cities in Indonesia, and this is pure cities administratively, so excluding all the metropolitan area. And I already mentioned to you that 20 to 25 percent of our economy concentrated in Jakarta. Hmm. So when it comes to 10 most populated cities in Indonesia, five out of 10 hmm. all located in Jakarta metropolitan area. Yeah. I can name uh, Jakarta as the biggest, uh, Bekasi. I mean, very big gap between Jakarta and Bekasi, but Bekasi is still in the top five hmm. of biggest city in Indonesia. And after Bekasi is Depok, hmm. after Depok is Tangerang, and after Tangerang is South Tangerang or Tangerang Selatan. Hmm. So with five out of ten cities in Jakarta, you can imagine that Jakarta basically is the concentration. I always say Jakarta is concentration of everything. Hmm. You're talking about economic, government, hmm. or even the sport even talking about the culture, everything is in Jakarta. Hmm. So the gap between Jakarta and Surabaya as the second biggest city is quite big. So I agree with you. I even sometimes call maybe Indonesia now only has one significant metropolitan area. Surabaya still in the process of emerging, emerging metropolitan area. Same as Bandung, same as Medan. Of course, when you are talking about secondary tertiary city, it doesn't mean that Surabaya will not be included in the secondary city. Hmm. Surabaya could be still secondary city if we use the standard comparable to China, to Australia, or to US. Hmm. So that's why our strategy to help regional disparity is to promote more the emergence of other metropolitan areas. Our job now is how to disperse economic activities so other metropolitan like Surabaya, Bandung. Medan, maybe Makassar, or Balikpapan, or Semarang Mm -hmm. can be growing higher than their uh, previous pattern.
0: And I mean, what sort of things can the national government do to promote that sort of growth pattern? Number one is infrastructure. Uh, Managing Indonesia,
1: one of the complexity is connectivity. Our geographical condition is archipelagic country, unlike Mm -hmm. Australia, for example, which is continent. So, of course, When it comes to the archipelagic country, connectivity is very important. Once you have better connectivity, then the economic activity, local economic activity will be growing, both outflow and inflow. By doing that, then of course from market perspective, this metropolitan area will be growing faster. That's number one. And secondly, we have the strategy that we always call it spatial economic zone. And the idea of special economic zone is to attract more investment, especially in manufacturing, to certain areas. I think every major metropolitan area need to have not only good connectivity by air, by sea, or by land, or by railway, but also they need to have, I think, quite representative economic zone or industrial zone. So the more economic activity will be coming to that area. When you are talking about manufacturing in Indonesia, especially related to labor intensive or general manufacturing they are all concentrated highly concentrated in jakarta metropolitan to the west and to the east so of course by time it will be less and less competitive because the land price will be much higher labor weights may also be higher because so much demand you know in that area compared to the supply of the labor itself so there could be a pattern in the near future that there could be relocation of industry from part of the Jakarta into the other metropolitan area. Mm. So that's why other metropolitan area needs to have two things: mm. connectivity mm. and the representative zone mm. for industrial or for other value-added process.
0: And obviously, you're speaking here as the head of Indonesia's national development yeah, yeah. agencies in these kind of national blueprint terms. Um, As you cast your eye out over the country, of course, there are 34 provincial governments and 500 district and municipality governments. Um, How does that decentralization either complicate or assist efforts to to deal with regional disparities?
1: Of course, uh, we have to admit at the beginning of decentralization in 2001, one of the expectations is that the role of Java as the major contributor of GDP or economy in Indonesia will be declining. Hmm. Because then with decentralization, with more authorities given to the local government, in this case, the kabupaten, regency, or the municipality, you know, will help to disperse these economic activities. But unfortunately, if you look at the statistics, If we started with Java contribution around 55 to 56% in 2001, now already 58%. So it means after 17 years of decentralization, in fact, the role of Java is higher. So I think we have to reevaluate our strategy to disperse more economic activities. Number one, we understand about the so-called feedback effect. Feedback effect means that we try to disperse economic activities, for example, building manufacturing that process palm oil or downstreaming of palm oil, let's say in Sumatra okay We are trying to set up big industrial zone by concentrating on the derivation or downstreaming of palm oil. So of course the factory will be there. they might employ people to work there, but don't forget when this factory is being built, There will be a lot of construction materials. There will be a lot of experts setting up the factory that have to come from Java. Hmm. And then after the factory is completed, they start to produce the stuff. Then maybe the companies that will help marketing the product into different parts of the world coming from Jakarta. Hmm. So although we try to disperse economic activities, there will be some Return hmm. coming back from Sumatra, Kalimantan, Sulawesi, and eastern part of Indonesia coming back to Jakarta. Hmm. So we understand the issue. To anticipate that, of course, we need to improve the regional development, and this is the reason why decentralization is a must, hmm. because the local government is in the better position to know what their priority are, and plus they know what will be the aspiration of the locals. So in terms of education, because now education from elementary to the high school is under the provincial government up to the district government. Hmm. So they have to really equip their education system in order to produce potential labor force that will be absorbed in the economic sectors that trying to be the generator of their economic activities locally. Yeah. So. I guess the strategy now is by uh, promoting more infrastructure outside java Mm. plus we try our best to focus on natural resource-based manufacturing outside java for labor intensive capital intensive you can do it in java Mm. but when it comes to natural resource based manufacturing we try to locate them outside java
0: returning to that question of decentralization yeah. and I think subnational spending is now almost half of all government spending yeah, yeah. in Indonesia. With local governments responsible for education, for health services, yeah. I mean, as you say, in theory, they're more responsive to local needs. Has this actually resulted in lower quality education in the areas that are currently left behind compared to Java? I mean, is decentralization really working to close the gap between services available to people in the outer areas and in Java? I think in terms of service
1: access, yes, it Hmm. has been much improvement compared to the centralized period because Hmm. now, uh, at least local government, they have the responsibility, they have the budget Hmm. to finance their responsibility, and they have to deliver. Hmm. And of course, one big incentive for any, let's say, Bupati or Mayor or Governor to deliver the service is to be re-elected I mean if you don't have achievement I don't think you will be re-elected and one way to show the achievement is by providing you know proper service through education, health, basic infrastructure and others so there is still strong incentive for re-election I mean in a democratic way of course and the other thing of course now we can see some of the local initiative that eventually works very well, meaning that their uh, regency or municipality or even province now becomes the role model for other provinces Hmm. because they have, I think, a very strong focus and they are trying to basically utilize their own resources, both human resources and natural resources. So they are trying, in general, not to depend too much on the central government. And we have seen now more and more Bupati, mayor, and governors with that kind of achievement, and I think rather than central government directing all the local government to do certain thing, hmm. I think it's better if all local government look to each other, hmm. look to the ones that you know perform very well, hmm. getting re-elected easily, so they know what they have to do if hmm. they want to be re-elected or they want to be part of the successful. Uh, Bupati, Mayor, or uh, Governor.
0: I mean it's interesting to hear that hear you say that because I guess my impression going out to various districts has yeah. been there's a much stronger dynamic of districts copying Central Government programs yeah, yeah. than of learning from each other. Yeah, yeah. Um, are there specific areas you'd highlight that have really come up with policy initiatives that have been being copied? By yeah, other areas? I
1: think there are several things. Uh, one is usually on the delivery of basic services, Mm -hmm. especially on the education and health. Mm -hmm. I think there are some areas in which because of their success are the regions now trying to learn or Mm -hmm. to understand what they are doing. Mm -hmm. I mean, at the beginning you are right that they are basically copying more the central government way Mm -hmm. while it's not hundred percent correct because you know, the authority of central and local is different, Mm -hmm. but. Now, more and more, at least from my conversation with people from the local government, now whenever they do so-called comparative study, they do it not with the ministry, but by visiting other regions and discussing with the official from those regions. So at least now they try to understand. Hmm. And then in our office here in Bapenas, we are now building the so-called development channel. And the idea of development channel is like what you said, we are trying to provide more sharing hmm. of best practices to everybody. So it can be easily accessible by everybody, but more importantly, we're trying to attract the local government to learn from success from the others. Uh, one of the most obvious success initiated by local government is in tourism. Hmm. If we look at some you know successful tourism area in Indonesia, actually, They are not central government program. They are there because the local initiative and the obvious example is Bali. Mm. Bali has been there for a long time and it's not directed by central government. Mm. It is in their nature Mm. that they become the very attractive tourism area with the behavior of their human resources, also the beauty of the area and more importantly, the positive attitude toward the tourism. If you look at other, for example, in Banyuwangi, which is not far from Bali, they now become one of the very attractive tourist destination, not because of the central government program. It is mm. the initiative from the Bupati itself. Mm. So these two examples clearly show that if you have good initiative, and if you can read the market, what mm. market wants, or what the market demand is, mm. then your region can be successful.
0: It's interesting to hear these uh, examples of innovative local leaders. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, the flip side that we always read is uh, mayor after mayor, uh, governors as well, being prosecuted by the Anti Corruption Commission yeah, uh, yeah. For, for local corruption. Um, how big a factor is corruption in the persistence of these regional disparities? Is it the case that regions with the worst governance are uh, being left behind?
1: Maybe it depends on the region, I mean, in the region that already behind, then the corruption will even make the situation worse, more and more behind, you know. Mm -hmm. While for the regions that actually is already okay, relatively good and stable condition, corruption will will be slowing down the economy itself. I mean, the economy that could be uh, faster now becomes slowing down because of the corruption. But in terms of corruption itself, I would say that this is more on uh, high political costs. So the root is not about the development issue, the root is about the political system in which uh, our political system still needs the high cost to become parliament member, to become the executive, both at central and local. So at the end, because the resource is limited, they are trying other ways, but at the end, you know, they are involved in corruption. And I think the root of the problem still high political costs in Indonesia.
0: And you mentioned high political costs as a negative side of, of electoral competition, but the pressure to get re-elected as, as pushing better yeah. service delivery.
1: Yeah, um, yeah. I
0: mean, I mean, how does regional disparity play out as an electoral issue? Is, uh, you know, certainly inequality, income inequality, wealth inequality is something of major political concern to yeah. the government? Is regional disparity similarly something that gets those regions that are left behind, sort of upset and angry about their place in the nation?
1: At least when the regional disparity issue started to be a big issue uh, after 1998, Parliament already issued the law regarding the intergovernmental fiscal transfer. I think that was the first scheme that tried to link the fiscal at the central and fiscal at the local level. And i think it's a good start i remember the idea of the design of the intergovernmental transfer scheme is to reduce the so-called horizontal disparity horizontal disparity means we are trying to reduce the disparity among the regions in terms of fiscal capacity and at the same time we also acknowledge there are regions with natural resources big natural resources there are regions that basically do not have anything so we give of course i think uh, the best fair treatment that we can do by introducing for example revenue sharing of natural resources mm. so it will benefit the regions the natural resources region but at the same time we introduce the formula that reduces horizontal disparity for the regions that basically do not have anything mm. so at the end you can see that uh, those areas although they are different in terms of their endowment in mm. terms of natural resources but at least in terms of fiscal capacity, they are not that big. But of course, the regions with natural resource rich will have higher fiscal capacity compared to the regions in general. But at least the regions that do not have anything still receive, I think, significant amount of money through transfer in order to deliver all the basic public services and infrastructure.
0: And I mean, where you've had that dynamic of central government transfers, but as you mentioned, the economy has become slightly more concentrated in Java. Does that mean that the private sector ultimately has a bigger role to play uh, in determining regional disparity than the government? The key word
1: will be investment. Mm. Of course, the role of private sector in our economy is through investment, most Mm. of the time. And when it comes to the investment, of course, private sector will be picky, you know, because they're looking for profits and they are looking for convenience comfortability in setting up the business. This is the area in which still many local government in Indonesia do not understand well hmm. the importance of investment and the importance of the role of private sector hmm. because many of them still think myopically by saying that okay our economy is basically our budget. So they don't really care about other economic actors than the government. This is the reason why what I mentioned earlier The so-called local innovative leader will go differently with the majority because this innovative leader will always think how to attract investment as much as possible Hmm. and how to make private sector as conveniently as possible. Hmm. And this is something that's still rare in many regions in Indonesia because they still depend so much on the budget and as you know local government budget in Indonesia dominated by transfer Hmm. so they really depend on the transfer and when the transfer already in their account, in their budget, they never think that this transfer should be allocated productively and wisely for the benefit of the people, for the prosperity of the people sometimes they think this is just for this project, that project, or if they do basic service delivery they do it at the minimum level rather than more at the optimal level I think it will come back on the wisdom and the integrity of the local leader. But I would say that any local leader that investment friendly, I think they will be the local leader that successful one rather than local leader that looking at the private investor as an object of the
0: revenue. So when you talk about the transformation that Indonesia needs okay. to go through, new urban centres relocation yeah, yeah. of industry. Obviously, that carries risks, things like social unrest, things like environmental degradation. Um, What is your assessment of those risks, and how is the government anticipating?
1: I think the transformation will ultimately happen, but we need to make the transition as smooth as possible by focusing on the continuation of the process rather than making the discrete policies, discrete action to make sure the transformation will be happening. Hmm. I think to make the transition smoothly, we have to understand the market economy itself and we have to understand the social and cultural background of the local people So for example, if there will be more uh, industries going out from certain industrial area in Jakarta into other parts of Indonesia, I think slowly people will understand that in terms of the income, in terms of the wage, Mm. there will be competition from other areas. One thing that's still missing from our decentralization process is the sense of competition among regions. I'm talking about the healthy competition, Mm. you know, so I would say that from governors, mayors, municipalities, the sense of competition is still relatively weak. Mm. They are still assume this investment will come to their region regardless of what happened in other regions. It's true if you have natural resources, but we have to start with the assumption your region doesn't have anything and you need investment desperately. So you need to do anything to attract investment. And if you earn desperately, then you need to compete with others. Yeah. There are more than 500 yeah. districts, municipalities in Indonesia. So this is, I think, the area in which we can, I mean, by, by process, by time, we can introduce more sense of competition. Mm-hmm. And from time to time, there are institutions that release survey, for example, most competitive province for investment, most competitive uh, cities or urban area for investment, most competitive district for investment. Those kind of things I think needs to be institutionalized mm-hmm. so they understand if they do not perform well, mm-hmm they will be left behind. No investment will come to the area, no economic growth could happen to that area, and at the end, more poverty coming to the area.
0: And finally, if you were to highlight just one factor that is most important to whether Indonesia can successfully address regional disparity or not, what would you focus on?
1: I would focus on the access and connectivity. Hmm. I think those things still not yet perfect. For Indonesia and we know that Indonesia is archipelagic country is much more complicated than any bigger continent country so with the connectivity and uh, accessibility then we can reduce the disparities both regional disparity as well as income disparity because this is another issue in Indonesia income disparity but I think those two can be reduced if we have been able to provide better connectivity and at the same time, better access to any uh, basic public needs. I mean, both in services and infrastructure.
0: Pat Bambang, there's a lot more I could ask you, but I'm afraid okay. we're well and truly out of time. Thanks so much for sharing your insights. Okay, thank story. you so much. That was Professor Bambang Brojonegoro, Indonesia's Minister for National Development Planning and Head of Indonesia's National Development Planning Agency, Bapanas. Keep an eye out for the Policy and Focus tagline in the episode title for future installments of the Policy and Focus series of Talkie Indonesia. Policy and Focus series episodes are edited by Eric Van Bemmel and Kelvin Param. Don't forget you can find the entire archive of Talkie Indonesia episodes for free at the Indonesia at Melbourne blog or via your favourite podcasting app. The next episode of Talkie Indonesia will appear on 6 December with my co host Dr. Dirk Thompson. Until next time, this has been the Talkie Indonesia podcast. Bye for now. Thank you